Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Incomparable, number 611, April 2022. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. This is an edition of our book club where we begin the process of reading all the books on the short list for the uh, Hugo and Nebula Awards, the nominees for Best Novel. So it's a really good way to find books to read and books for us to discuss and recommend to you, thanks to the work of the people who make those nominations, which is not necessarily us, um, although sometimes it can be if you want to be. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't nominate for the Hugos this year. I, I let <gasps> that one go by. Boo. Yeah, I let it go by this time. I just didn't feel like I was. Uh, I was prepared. Anyway, uh, this episode we will have. I think more participants in future episodes. This episode is just me and two of my good friends, Scott McNulty. Hello, Scott. Hello. Thank you for reading books. I I like books. I, I was thinking as you were like doing books. the intro that I I never have a problem finding books. I have, my problem is I have too many books I want to read. I know. Uh, and then I have to assign reading for podcasts and things, which is good, well, but a problem. That's true. I do have a big stack of books, virtual stack of books on my e-reader, but um, I always am also sort of like looking for good book recommendations because I love it when somebody says, mm-hmm. I read this book and I loved it. And uh, and the shortlists are like a faceless committee saying, I read this book <laughs> and I loved it. So that's, I that's just, true. Uh, what could be better than that? Erica Ensign is also here. She also likes books. Hi. I'm I'm sort of one of the faces on on that committee because I did nominate for the Hugo's <gasps> this year. So you're welcome. Faceless no more. Well, I mean, okay. I, I thank you, Erica. <laughs> you get one face. For nominating uh, for the Hugos and some of the books. Oh, the books mm-hmm. that you nominated, are they in fact on the short list? Uh, yes, some of them are. Oh, I don't remember exactly what I put on there, but uh, I mean, one of them was one we already talked about. So, <laughs> Right. Well, this is true. So w- here's the plan this year. We're going to do three of these. This is the first one. Um, we're going to cover <gasps> all of the nominees in the best novel categories. And maybe at the end, mm-hmm. we'll uh, talk about some short fiction because I know Erica and I tend to read um, some of that. Scott doesn't care about your short fiction. Maybe sometimes I read it. Yeah, maybe and novellas. They're they're kind of they're not that short. Like little baby novels. They're okay. <laughs> I like short Aww. stories. I should change that category to little baby novels. <laughs> I would be more apt to read them. Oh, I would, it would so be cute. much more popular. I guarantee mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I mean, let's do it. Um, <laughs> uh, I convene this here. committee, this faceless committee, <laughs> and we'll okay. So in this episode, we're going to discuss Machinehood by S. B. Divya. Mm-hmm. And Plague Birds by Jason Sanford, Ooh. both nominated for the Nebula Award. Were either of them nominated for the Hugo Award? I don't think so. I didn't think to bring up the. We're all so very prepared. I mean, I read the books. That was my big preparation. Um, no, neither of these mm. were nominated for the Hugo Award. They're, they're Nebulas. Well, I, I'll only. tell you, I didn't put them on my. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> take that. All right. Uh, so I want to start with Plague Birds. Jason Sanford. This is a, I think, a really interesting book. It is a, oh, okay, I'm going to, what a label should I apply to this book? It's it's post-apocalyptic, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it is, but it's like way post-apocalyptic in a way. It's very post-apocalyptic. It's not like, um, what will we do to put society back together? It's more like society has reformed in a very strange way. And now Mm -hmm. the story of the plague birds. Um, It is a, in fact, the technology in it is so advanced that it reads at points almost like a fantasy novel. Where there's mm-hmm. like AIs, but they're almost magical, and there's like weird stuff that happens that seems almost magical. 
Also, the just the way that there's there's like a lot of small villages and like one right. city. It, it has a, a little bit of a high fantasy sort of feel to it Absolutely. that way because it's not like while there is super advanced technology, a lot of the people living in the world are farmers right. and, and stuff. And then there are like there are like the roaming plague birds and the roaming kind of scholar people and so which are like kind of like wizards and other kind of like magical creatures (laughs) among the regular people who are in the villages that's Mm -hmm. that's exactly sort of my feeling is that it feels like a fantasy book because the world has been set up in a way that if you if you've read high fantasy novels you're like i see what you're doing here but it's not that right like and and Mm -hmm. uh, the main character in plague birds is uh is krista and she is taken over by okay she meets a she meets a plague bird which is a person who is also a hybrid with an artificial intelligence that lives in nanotechnology in their blood see because mm-hmm. it's actually a science fiction novel at heart <laughs> even though it's a fantasy ish setting and that uh person's body has been too damaged to go on and so uh the ai in the blood gets transferred to uh, who's called Red Day mm-hmm. uh, gets transferred into her, and so now she's a herself, but also has this AI riding along with her that she argues with, and and he rolls mm-hmm. and she's his eyes she's kind of and... <laughs> she's kind of tricked into it. Um, plague birds are are not uh, popular in society. They they do the the judging and the uh, I was going to say murdering, but Smiting. no, I guess technically it's it's ex- executing. Yes. Uh, people who are bad so everyone in the world is scared of plague birds uh so she doesn't particularly want to become one but she's sort of tricked into it to save the lives of the people she cares for right now and she was assaulted by a um another person in the community who was i mean they had a relationship so it's kind of a domestic violence Mm -hmm. um situation going on there and then he was not banished but sort of like given the talking to which is kind of i thought was a good moment of like yep that sounds about right part for the course <laughs> yeah. um but they're they're like but these are all um the story is this is set in the far future so there are ais there was an there was a conflagration an ai war and a human war um all the humans are genetically modified in some ways usually spliced with animal genes so the idea here is that the ais have basically taken over and are very slowly kind of pairing humanity back to be more like base model humanity but in the in this interim time the ais are t- there are ais in control of the villages who are like the the mayors and the and the, and the, <laughs> the protectors of the people in the villages and then there's this idea that they're like trying to deprogram out a lot of this stuff but it's still in there so like she's got um wolf dna in her and her people <laughs> do and so that's a part of it too. It's it's a really interesting setting because it's like it's not that information has been lost. In fact, they go they travel to a place where like all the database of all the information of human knowledge is kept and it's still there, but um it's the AIs have really sort of said we're going to put a stop to humanity. They've gone too far. We're going to we're going to roll them back to when they were uh, normal people <laughs> instead of these hybrids that are here now. Yep, and like the the I think Bo is his name. He's the one that that was yeah. her her boyfriend, and he's so he's got like cat genetics. So it's not like there's a village of wolves and there's a village of of cats. Like they all sort of oh, intermix <laughs> and live together. <laughs> the dog village hates the cat village. It's a dogs weird and cats living thing. together. Yeah, they're all mass hysteria. Okay. And when you identify people, that there's a lot of that, which is like you know she she will say things like you know this one looked like a and it's like Bird. what kind mm-hmm. of animal hybrid are they that has been because it's all everybody's been kind of seated with that yes and then there are people who live outside of the villages and people who live in one particular city there's a an android or two walking around uh, or selling ice cream as the case may be mm-hmm. right uh there's a the scholars are cannibals uh, that, yeah i was gonna okay <laughs> so so they cl- they go through a very creepy ch- forest of trees that are only sentient when you're around them and so they want to keep you there forever so they can remain sentient which is a great idea I, I thought that was so creepy and yet brilliant. And they end up on, on top of a, a very high mountain that has a crater in the center, which is where all the human knowledge is kept by this this group of monk librarians who are, it turns out, cannibals. 
<laughs> and the cannibalism is their initiation. And if you That's can right. kill a librarian, you are a librarian until they kill you. Mm-hmm. Another because cannibal. the because the, the knowledge is stored in their DNA, basically. So yeah. if you eat another one, it transfers to yeah. you. And this sounds mm-hmm. like a very complicated world. And it is. But the way that the story, I think, does a good job of laying it out is that the complications come in sequence. And so you mm-hmm. learn about the world as Krista makes her. Uh, journey and obviously there are things that she doesn't know uh, that we discover very early on that she there are mysteries about her her background and what the AI inside of her actually knows and is willing to tell her and there's a mysterious force called the veil that seems to be some sort of like rebel group that almost that, that killed uh, her AI's previous uh, host and and they they seem to be conspiring to do something although it's unclear what and then as she takes her kind of journey she meets other ais and other plague birds and then eventually goes through the forest meets the monks and goes through the forest and visits the monastery and so it there and then ultimately goes to that w- super weird city that's the only city left on earth uh, that scott mentioned earlier so there is a a progression to it. So if it sounds like, I mean, this is a very detailed, very weird world that the book sets out, but I, I did appreciate that the author tries to take Krista through it in a way that he doesn't have to download every single detail about the the world into your head in the first few chapters. It's sort of, you mm-hmm. learn it as she travels. Yeah. I think the, the one place where that wasn't as smooth for me was I think when they were in the the monastery with all of the monks. So like we get hit with this, all of the knowledge exists and these are the monks and this is how that works. And at the same time, we learn about yet another wrinkle in this society mm-hmm. that there's this like all powerful alien okay. that's actually a kid. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I that think was just it was it seemed like yeah. a little bit too much for me. Yep. And I feel like the book started to kind of lose me a little bit at that point, even uh-huh. though I ended up loving that character. That was probably my mm-hmm. favorite character in the book. But just the fact of her existence was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Suddenly, I feel yeah. like I'm reading something completely different as opposed to having new things laid out for me bit by bit. Uh, twinsies. Um, <laughs> well, let me tell you. So so you would think that when you get to the t- top of the mountain. After the trees have almost killed everybody, you get to the top of the mountain and you discover that all of the librarian people who live there are um, cannibals. You might be thinking that that's the moment where you're like, what are you doing book with cannibal librarians? This is not what I signed up for. No, 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 that Mm. was fine. It was weird, but it was fine. It is that there's this character who is an AI who came from space, who has been on Earth for thousands of years watching and w- and is programmed apparently to send a signal back to wherever she came from saying, you should kill these people. They're very bad. Um, it's like, <laughs> yes or no. Should we get rid of these people? But she's in the in the form of a little girl and she's got a sense of humor and she doesn't really want to kill humanity. So she actually like advises them to not give her the report because then she's going to have to report back. And that's all interesting. I agree, Erica. I really like that character. Mm-hmm. The problem is that th- this book is so complicated as it is. Yep. And there, and there are AIs conspiring against other AIs and there's the veil, which is this other mysterious group that seems to have powers that allow that are more powerful than lots of other incredibly powerful things, including our friend, the alien AI girl. And mm-hmm. she has powers where she can, she, she makes the Mona Lisa frown in all human databases. <laughs> no smile or, or wait. No, you're right. You're right. Frown, Cause she's kind of smiling. Cause she's kind of yep. smiling, makes her cut, makes her kind of frowning oh. in all of mm-hmm. human history. And everybody's <laughs> a little disturbed by that. And, and this is the point where the book kind of lost me too, because as much as I appreciated the detail of this work, I, I, and this is about halfway through, I thought it's too complicated now. Like we have multiple mm-hmm. seemingly all powerful entities that can invalidate yeah. everybody's memories and or capabilities at any point. And that's where it all kind of just the threads all fell apart for me. Cause I'm like, I don't even know what to think now because you've just told me there are different entities that can do basically anything. And why should I be keeping track of any of it anymore? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it actually it kind of made me think of uh, uh, the, the episode, I think, that Jason, that you did with our good friend Helene Wecker about her her second book, um, the, the Hidden City. Palace. Is that what it's 
Thank you, Pallas. Yes. Um, And how she was talking about she didn't go into great detail, but she said as she was writing it, one of the things that she had to do was basically take a whole chunk, like a whole story out of it (laughs) as she was writing it and rewrite a bunch of stuff because this particular storyline within that book just didn't end up working with it. And that's kind of how I felt about that uh, that character that I loved so much. I was like, I would love to read a book about that character and and her story. But as it was, it, it felt like it muddled the rest of everything that was going on. And by the end of the book, I was I was very impressed that Jason Sanford was able to actually, you know, land the ship as well as he did, because all of these threads and complications, I'm not 100% sure that I followed all of the machinations to yeah. the very end and, and understood exactly what it was supposed to be. But I feel like I probably would have been able to if she had been taken out of the mix and it had been a little bit more straightforward. Just these are are humans and AIs that evolved on Earth and not an extra alien intelligence in there. Although that alien intelligence, like... It ended up being one of the big movers and shakers because she was sort of a get out of jail free card in a lot of ways. Yeah. And literally, I think at one point. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> or get out of big glass pyramid free mm-hmm. card. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I yeah. don't know. Scott, what do you think of this one? Uh, well, I mean, I, uh, as I was looking at it again to remember what happened in it, uh, uh, I was struck by the fact that it's only 274 pages or something like that. So uh, around 300 pages. And uh, page per idea ratio, oh, very <laughs> oh, wow. high uh, in this book. I think that perhaps a little too high. There's there's mm-hmm. a little too much for such a, a short book in this day and age. I think this would be considered a short book. Uh, that being said, I did enjoy it. It's a little, it, it felt like, Jason, you and I were talking about this in Slack uh, a little while ago. Kind of felt like a couple of Star Trek episodes slammed together uh, <laughs> and then sprinkled yep, nice. on with, with nice. a couple of uh, other genres to you know hide that at a remove and then kind of slowly reveal it as they were you know uh, as the story went on uh so i enjoyed it i i there were parts of it that i wanted to learn more about like i was i'm very intrigued by the the android robot character that's selling ice cream and and that kind of storyline and what happened Mm -hmm. to all of these things and i'm interested in you know what the ais are doing and all of that stuff so it's certainly built an interesting world uh i don't know how successful it is as a novel, if yeah. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was I enjoyed it as I read it. Lots of really memorable, I think, moments and images and, and so many good ideas. I mean, I'm always going to prefer a book that's overstuffed with ideas to one that doesn't have enough of them. But mm-hmm. I do agree that I think this has a little too much complication. Um, I was thinking about books that I've liked in series, and I don't know if this is a series or not i mean everything mm. ends up being a series but this seems <laughs> yeah. to just be one book for now uh, but i was thinking i was thinking about nk jemison's um broken earth trilogy mm. i was thinking about Lawrence m Schoen's barsk novels mm. both of which i really love and both of which have it's in book one of broken earth and it's in book two of barsk he hasn't written the third book at least yet um where there's a moment at the very end of the book where a little detail that you probably noticed in the book is revealed to actually be a big detail. And it's like this moment where you're like, Oh, what? (laughs) And then Mm -hmm. it's like such a great moment to lead you into the next book. And that was in, in reflecting about plague birds. That's what I thought about the little girl who turns out to be an alien AI is like, could you maybe have a mysterious little girl who, like tags along and it's like why is she here and she why won't she go away and at the end of the book reveal she's actually from another planet and has been watching Mm. us all along because then it would be like what oh and then you'd want to know what would happen next but instead she gets involved in the middle and she's like uh, like you said erica a get out of jail free card or maybe just a wild card where Mm. it's like what can't she do and then when the veil who are the villains of the piece although that's interesting too because there's a I, i appreciate the fact that when they detail sort of what they're about i don't know about detail but you get some hints of it it's like you could argue the point right like i think that the that the other side has has uh is not like just a straight up villain like they've got their own take on what what should happen next um but they also are so supremely powerful that it's like Mm -hmm. um 
I don't know that it comes back to the the thing that you've got these too many ultimate powerful beings and then if your main characters are not those beings then like it doesn't matter what they do right like and mm-hmm. the book acts like it matters what what um these characters do and what Krista chooses to do but they're surrounded by incredibly powerful kind of magical beings so it just kind of loses something uh, in terms of the journey they're taking yeah yes and I did like, so we're, we're introduced to Red Day and we're like, oh boy, this thing is really oh, powerful. Yeah. And then uh, we're introduced to another, to other plague birds and we find out, oh, Red Day is like the he least sucks. powerful of them. <laughs> <laughs> Not great. Uh, which I thought was interesting with yeah. them, Jason, as you were saying, like you just add on a whole bunch of other people that are even more powerful and then it's just kind of, it loses its impact when suddenly everything is building into, uh, this is a problem I have with, uh, Simon R. Green, who is not as good a writer as, uh, Jason Sanford is, um, but who is very prolific, uh, and just kind of throws these impossibly powerful characters that then have to defeat other, even more impossibly powerful characters. And it just keeps going and going until it gets kind of ridiculous, which I think is what he's going for. Maybe I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, (laughs) but, uh, sometimes it's a fun kind of like, you know, popcorn experience and other times it's just kind of ridiculous yeah i i i enjoyed this book i think we all are are very much Mm -hmm. in alignment here which is Mm -hmm. that this is a very interesting and imaginative book but it feels a little over complicated and and a little overstuffed and there are lots of really great ideas and very weird things in it like i love the boldness of introducing you to these that we we meet a monk and it's like oh they're so cute and like he's got a <laughs> a, a kind of romantic connection with krista and it's like and he's so and he's kind of you know he's an aw shucks kind of guy he's just learning <laughs> yeah. and making his way in the world he, he likes and, to make jokes <laughs> yeah yeah he makes bad jokes and <laughs> no, never stops and then you get to the top of his mountain and you find oh they're all cannibals <laughs> <laughs> With the complete repository of all human knowledge going back to the beginning of recorded human knowledge. Like, it's not one of these, we don't know what happened before the year 10,000. It's like, no, no, we have all of the stuff, um, but they're cannibals. Like, I love that. It, it's so weird. Um, mm-hmm. But there's just, it, yeah, it's just plot wise. Uh, it's it's a weird thing to say, but like plot wise, you get to the point where there's too many players and too many plans and too much power on the board for it to mm-hmm. kind of make sense. In the it's end. just intensity fatigue. Yeah. Like you just can only raise it so many times before I'm like, okay, I'm intensified. I'm te- intensified out. Well, and there are moments where it's like, Krista, only you can do this. And it's like, can she? Because there's the all powerful uh, alien <laughs> AI girl and there's the veil and they seem to be able to control everything too. So why is it that in this moment, Krista is the only one who can save the day? And the answer is because that's what the story is and you got to tell it that way. But it's like, I don't believe it at that point because everybody else has been so set up to be so powerful. Um, but to Scott's point, I, I want to say again, the moment where it's re- you meet the other AIs and it's revealed that that Red Day, this incredibly dangerous and powerful a- and ruthless AI who has been lecturing Krista about uh, all the ways of the world is a really crappy AI. That's <laughs> yep. so good. It is very good. <laughs> yeah, they are literally the least powerful AI of all the plague birds. And yeah, like, we're everywhere. sorry you got stuck with that one. Yeah, he's the worst. <laughs> uh, and we're, we've learned to fear him as terrifying, but he is he and he is terrifying. <laughs> But he's the least terrifying of all the plague birds. And that's, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. All right. Well, I, I totally see why this book got nominated. Mm-hmm. The, I yes. did have one specific issue with yes, it. Please. And I don't know if that was the, if there was something wrong with my uh, e-book copy. But there's a, a point where Krista and a couple other plague birds get together in this giant pyramid in the middle of the city, which yeah. I thought was a very cool thing. This giant pyramid mm-hmm. that you know runs the city. Um, and they are drinking... Uh, this drink that helps like basically tamps down the AI so they are just human for a while and then they have to drink this other thing to be uh, not all powerful or or not have the AIs tamped down anymore. And in my copy, the words for those things like kept flipping back and forth. Like the editor missed stuff because it was supposed to be, yeah, it was like plagues gold was the antidote and plagues truth or something like that was the, was the, the original thing that tamps down the AIs and it was used wrong like four times. <laughs> so it was very confusing at first. I was like, wait, which is which? And I had to go back and double check. And yeah, it was just absolutely wrong multiple times. That's not good. Nope. No. Well, I didn't notice. So I don't know. 
Let me take a break to tell you about our sponsor. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by Collide. Collide is a new user-focused security Slack app. It messages employees when their security systems aren't as secure as they should be on their Mac, Windows, or Linux device. So with the Collide app, if a user has a device that isn't complying with your security best practices, they get a notification with clear instructions on what is wrong and step-by-step instructions to fix it themselves. This is so clever. They can confirm in real time that it's all sorted with the interactive button inside Slack. It's all happening in Slack, where your users are, where they want to get information. And it was designed with their privacy in mind. That means your users know what data is collected about their device, information on who can see that data, and the option to look at the full source code of the agent that is run on the device. Collide is already used by hundreds of fast-growing companies who want to level up their device security without locking down their devices. Try Collide's new product for free for 30 days for your whole team. Just go to Collide.com. That's K-O-L-I-D-E.com. Thank you to Collide for supporting The Incomparable. Uh, all right. So there it is, Plague Birds. A kind of a, you know, we understand why I was nominated, but we didn't love it. It was, it was good. Yeah, I, I enjoyed yeah. it. I'm not entirely sure how much I liked it. But now let's yeah. talk about a book that I'm not sure oh. I enjoyed it, but I did like it. Yeah, another, <laughs> both, okay, so let, let's lay it on the table here. I, I Both of these books I found um, good, but not great, which is unusual, <laughs> I, I'd say, for shortlist books. I usually... Am a little have a little stronger feeling about them. Um, Damn. So this is Machine Hood by S. B. Divya. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a book. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna say up front, Machine Hood as a book title would make you believe <laughs> uh-huh. that maybe this book is about intelligent machines, mm-hmm. perhaps even from the. Uh, from the quotes and the blurbs and things like, and the descriptions of the book, that it is a story about artificial intelligence emerging uh-huh. and deci- making you decide, like, well, what does it mean when the machines fight back? And then as you begin the book, where there are some uh, terrorist attacks and various other attacks from a group called the Machine Hood. And the idea there is that all artificial intelligence, this is a world, it's 2095, this is a world with what they call ways or whys. They're the, the uh, art- weak artificial intelligences, weak mm-hmm. AIs. Um, but these attacks begin and Machine Hood says, aha, all AIs are... Uh, are sentient beings and should not be held in chattel and they should not be, uh, you know, they should be given rights and we are the machine hood and everybody begins speculating, Oh, what does this mean? I guess there must be a strong AI now finally. And that this is the moment where they're going to overthrow us, uh, which is interesting. And then you read the rest of machine hood and, um, no, (laughs) it's not it at all. It's not, no, it's, it's not that, at all, it's some hippies on a space station <laughs> who have started to make kind of hybrid human machine with people with artificial organs and and are going to use them to try and reform humanity by blowing up a bunch of stuff and getting them to agree to their demands. But what I thought was kind of amazing about it i mean leaving aside judging the book on its own i thought it's the the way this book is promoted and titled and starts out it feels so misleading and not in a twist kind of way but in a i sold you something i can't deliver kind of way Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. i think that that's you you hit it on the head there is the main reason that i just couldn't get into this book one of one of two main reasons and it was just yeah i uh, I, I really enjoy books that sort of grapple with the idea of, you know, how are AIs actual, real, not weak AIs, but real AIs, how are they treated in society? You know, what does it mean to be a person? Like that sort of stuff. And I, based on the title and the beginning of the book, I really thought that's where we were going. And I do think that she did kind of mean it to be a bit of a twist that that's not where we're going, because you do have so many people when all of these terrorist attacks are happening, so many people assuming that there is now an actual strong AI out there. Um, And and I think 
maybe that's supposed to be a twist. Like, no, that's not actually it. Um, but to me, it was just more of a kind of a letdown. Uh, it was. Yeah, it, that's fair. It was interesting, but I didn't it, it didn't work for me. And I think the other reason that I just didn't didn't warm to it is and we've talked about this before. I just I don't particularly enjoy military science fiction and I would not call mm-hmm. this book military science fiction. However, the main oh. character Welga is is a soldier. Yeah, it's, and that it's is real like, close. I mean, I, yeah. I I think I might c- classify it as that because <laughs> because Welga is a soldier and she's working for mm-hmm. she's a bodyguard and then later she works for the government and later she's on her own. But she's always she's always a soldier. And while her sister in law, who's a scientist and a mom, is also mm-hmm. a character, and they they're, they sh- they share the viewpoint character slot. Mm-hmm. I would say two thirds of the book is Welga's viewpoint. Yeah, at she's, least <laughs> she's the primary POV character, and I, I definitely when it was when it was her her sister in law's time to be the POV character, I really I liked those chapters a lot more. So I think for me there was just the this is a thing that doesn't particularly work for me. Uh, so I think that you know people who enjoy military science fiction will probably like this book more than I did just as a baseline because that's something that just doesn't resonate on this side here. Scott, you like some military science fiction? What do you think of this one? Uh, I do. I, I hadn't even occurred to me that this would be considered military science fiction. Uh, and it's I a, also it's kind did of, not. Only a, well, it's like independent military contractor science fiction, but okay. <laughs> it's a, it's <laughs> it's a, a very specific subgenre. Uh, and I didn't have, I guess I, I don't even know why I read this book to begin with, why I picked it up. But uh, this is, I read it before it was nominated for anything um, and just kind of on a whim, I think. And um I didn't have any expectations from it. Even looking at the title, that didn't mean anything to me. So I just jumped into it. So I wasn't, I didn't feel disappointed and I didn't, I mean, I took it as a plot twist, but I wasn't like shocked from uh, the fact that it wasn't about emergent AIs. Um, but I enjoyed it. I mean, I think that the the part that I focused on was the kind of the, the how plausible this near term future yeah. feels uh, and how uncomfortable that made me because I don't want it to be as plausible as I feel mm, like it is. Yeah. Uh, so. No, it's, it's I, I thought too that this is absolutely a plausible near future. Yes. This is this is a world where everybody takes pills to like nanotech pills. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody's a gig worker. Yes. Uh, oh, that was uh, like so ouch. <laughs> everybody has to print out the latest uh, you know vaccine for whatever virus <laughs> is making the rounds. And I was like, oh man. Yeah, too soon yeah I, book. that too was the thing that I, I liked a, a lot about it is, you know, I, I enjoy good world building and I felt like this was just so on point in terms of this future that was created. It was so real and so sort of sharp and biting in so many ways. And, and I, was, I was really impressed by the world building and the, you know, the kind of near future stuff. So I, I wanted to enjoy it more than I did. So I think I, I, I found myself not at it and being impressed by the ideas and impressed by the world building, but I just never connected with it on an emotional level. Whereas I think, you know, talking about Plague Birds, I think I did connect with that on an emotional level, but was less impressed with all of the intense <laughs> like twists and turns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it, it is. That's the stuff I liked about it, Scott, is um, this world, you know, there's like the one character who's in the in the house in Phoenix and it's like they're trying to like not have people live in that part of Phoenix anymore because it's not tenable. <laughs> Can't sell your house. Because of the heat and the <laughs> sand and all of that. You're supposed to go and live in the little urban arcology instead. And, you know, but the dad, dad doesn't want to leave. And the, the, um, the sister-in-law of the main character is a researcher and she's got a research team for a corporation, but like they have demands on her that she doesn't want to meet. And then she's investigating stuff and she ends up getting fired from that. And, but, and she's also trying to get like, uh, her coworker, her colleague who is a, basically a refugee on a run from a rising, um, uh, Islamist state in Africa, um, uh, out to where she lives in Europe um, that's an interesting detail as well is that we're led to believe there's a, like a spy novel aspect of this too, where mm-hmm. at one point the, the novel does a real faint toward the idea that Welga is going to be going on a mission into Africa to 
um, find out what's going on inside the, this uh, caliphate or whatever that is this sort of like no-tech um, part of the world that from the, the tech-laden part of the world is basically a black hole. Like they don't know what goes on in there because there's no tech in there and that's how they do everything. And um, and you're led to believe like that's going to be who's behind it and all and that she's going to go there. And then very quickly the novel is like, oh, she doesn't need to go there. She's going to go to space. It's the space people are doing this. And the, 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 Always the, the, the space people. And the caliph is uh, working with them sort of, but it's really this is their plan. And I liked, using it, the I liked it as a as a head fake. It did seem a little weird, though. It seemed like, is this a red herring or is this an abandoned plot thread? <laughs> and I'm not quite sure because it, it's set up. There's a lot of a lot of detail is spent on on the drones they send there and all this stuff. And then it's like, no, no, it's not him. It's the people in space. Okay, <laughs> it's fine. But it, but it, you know, evocative. It was definitely evocative of this. You know, end of the century world is kind of falling apart but we also have people in space habitats who are mm. meditating and you know making <laughs> artificial like, organs and welga is like trying to resist the the temptation to live stream things that she can get tips in her tip jar but she oh, that yeah. she needs money and so oh yeah it. that was that was a deeply disturbing and yet interesting projection yes. right which is that there are drones everywhere so there is no privacy at all and in fact instead of privacy what you get is people who like what they're seeing they'll give you tips and there is a moment sort of late in the book uh where welga and her partner um before she goes into space i think um mm-hmm. have sex and it's after they've knocked off all the satellites and all the drone feeds and stuff. And it is literally the first time they have ever had sex in private. With nobody watching. And mm-hmm. they feel like that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wow. Yeah, that was fascinating, right? And the idea mm-hmm. that, that, and at several points she's like, I know I could, like Scott, Scott said, I know I could do this uh, publicly for tips, but I'm not concerned about the tips right now. <laughs> like, well, I think that's a good call. A good call. Good call. But uh, that's the that's this world, and it is. You know, is it likely that the world will be like this? No, but it is a really fair extrapolation of current trends, and that's what science fiction is all about, right? It's about taking what's mm-hmm. happening today and saying, you know, take it to an extreme. It would be like this, and uh, and Machine Heard does a good job of that. It really does. Yeah, I agree. I kept finding myself thinking about. Big Brother, the 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 show, the TV show, the reality <laughs> show, which I have watched like a season and a half of, and you know, found myself enjoying, but not necessarily enjoying the fact that I was enjoying it. And uh-huh. I just kind of sort of kept going back to that and being like, yeah, I can. This is this is realistic enough that you know, if you have s- literal swarms of teeny tiny drones that are cameras, it would be very very difficult to actually d- like keep enforcing privacy and she talks about a number of times like how you know she'll she'll enter a house and they have like something around the door that's supposed to keep the drones out but none of them you know like it's everybody realizes that there's there's no security that's quite good enough to actually keep the drones out unless you're actually in the military or you know a bodyguard or something like that so people have just given up on the idea of even having privacy it's just not not a thing but she does also then stress that like when you have literally every single person in the world that you could possibly watch that the chances of anybody tuning into you are actually quite small and so unless unless the way you have sex is particularly interesting or you're super (laughs) popular or super good looking probably nobody's going to be watching you anyway so Mm -hmm. nobody really worries about it that much and i'm like i think i'd still worry about it Yeah, and if mm-hmm. they like it, they'll leave you a tip, I guess. <laughs> yep. um, yeah, no, it's, it's a good passive income. Yeah, it's well, it's it is it is the dystopia of the Big Brother reality TV show instead of the dystopia of Big Brother from 1984, right? It's not <laughs> yep. a t- it's a distributed true. sort of uh, a panopticon instead of it being the totalitarian control. It's more like anybody can look anywhere at any time, but it's still a dystopia nonetheless. It's a distributed dystopia. It's distributed disinterested dystopia. <laughs> oh, the, tr- the old Nobody. triple D. I love it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Nobody really cares. Um, yeah. The other thing, other other tidbit that I wanted to mention here is there's the, the dr- designer drugs that are used. Um, there's flow, which is like your focus drug and, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, Welga's sister-in-law, uh, can't take it when she's pregnant and she has an abortion with stuff that, um, 
that Welga sends her because Welga's brother um, doesn't believe in abortion. And in Arizona, which he's a citizen of, uh, the husband can tell the wife, the husband has to consent. And so mm-hmm. Welga literally just mails her all the a kit of chemicals to mix together to make a pill that she can take to abort the baby. And then he is upset, but he forgives her by the end. I thought that was an interesting sort of thread that is not directly related to the book plot, mm-hmm. but is mm-hmm. a, a really good kind of an, another extrapolation of what's going on in that world. Um, mm-hmm. And she does it. She, she is desperate to stay on flow because it's the only way that she can do this. And meanwhile, Welga um, can't is allergic to flow because it killed her mother. And so basically she can't take it. And so, you know, certain kinds of jobs are completely off limits to her, but she can take um, zips, which are like stimulants, and she is increasingly addicted to them and is having seizures and and all of that. Mm-hmm. I, I think the, all that kind of designer drug stuff and the thing with the uh, the the brother who is a Christian who's against abortion and the and the uh, the the sister in law who is not a Christian and feels like mm-hmm. she has to have the abortion. Um, yeah, there's yeah. there's a sort of flavor of the more things change, the more they stay the same yeah. for, in those things. And also with the fact that, you know, Flo killed her mother and the fact that the zips are then by the end of the book sort of killing her. And it's in part because these big uh, it's it's not so much corporations anymore. It's funders, people who are super rich, who are funding the research. Right. Um, but it, it's basically just, you know, the same kind of thing with a different face. They're hiding the fact that they haven't done the proper testing, that they haven't done the proper research to make sure that people are going to be safe on these things and that's one of the main reasons that you have all the terrorism happening because you know we we need to make a better world where people can actually have regular income and not have to worry about the the designer drugs that they're taking every day because people will actually do the research that it should be done in the first place and i'm just like oh god it's just big pharma this is taking over the world And it's these kinds of things that I think elevate this from military science fiction. Now, don't write me letters, people who like military science fiction. I am one of you. Uh, But it is uh, generally kind of an action-oriented, let me list all the weapons that this character uses and ships that they take and blow up stuff, which I like. um, But I feel like this, this book is attempting to do more than that. Yeah, yeah. The, the military details are not usually the focus, but again, there are moments where it is, right? Where they've Mm -hmm. got their, she's got her uh, bodyguard stuff she's doing and then she gets kind of re-upped into the military and she has a a history where she had a mission gone wrong and that made her resign and now she's back because she's got promises it'll be different this time. Listener, it's not different this time. Uh, It's never (laughs) different this time. Uh, But it's, it's, it is more than, it's ambition is more than that. Again, yeah, not saying anything about military SF, uh, good or bad, as much as that this book is, is, has uh, uh, some of it, its DNA is that, but it's doing a lot of other stuff too Mm -hmm. at at the same time. But there is a, there is definitely a, a a strand of that going through there because Welga Mm -hmm. is a military person and she's our main (laughs) character. Yeah, there's a lot of it in there, but um, yeah. and I can understand if you don't like that, it it, it doesn't help. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> um, what else have we not talked about 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 machinehood? Oh, the end is is wild because she goes to space and they and they, uh, which is the source of all of this. And there's this woman that they've been uh, investigating who turns out is the person who is leading this sect on this space station that is broken away from its you its Earth governments and is running on its own and is creating these kind of human. AI artificial organ hybrids and sending them down to earth to blow things up and stuff. Um, and when Welga meets with her, uh, Welga is basically dying of this, all of these, uh, the addictions and, and the, that she's gotten into because she's having the seizures and the guru basically says, well, we could make you into one of our hybrids and that would solve it. And Welga says, Okay. <laughs> and it's a, it's it's a moment where I'm like, "Huh. All right, that's interesting." And she does and and that's ends up being sort of how the how the story gets solved is that is that she uh while not going over to their side, kind of like becomes a little bit of an ambassador and ex- mm-hmm. is able to kind of get an exchange of ideas going between the people down on earth and the people up in space. Um and it just I I was I was taken by how the end game of this book did not 
go how I expected it to. <laughs> I did think that S.B. Divya did a nice job of <laughs> sort of railroading that character into making that decision. Yeah. Because, yes, I would I had not expected that either. And I would not have necessarily expected that character to make that choice. But because of all of the things that happened earlier in the book, they got to that point and were like, well, I guess this is a thing that, that makes sense for me to do. And at that point, it absolutely did make sense for her to make that choice. So I was just kind of like, well, well done. I tip my hat to you. Yep. I liked, I liked uh, uh, Machine Hood more than I liked uh, Plague Birds, I think, as a book. I think it's more successful. I enjoyed Plague Birds more than Machine Hood, but I think I liked Machine Hood more than I liked Plague Birds. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like them about the same. Oh. <laughs> Take that. It's the whole spectrum of, of <laughs> middling. They were both fine. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, you got it here first, people. <laughs> I can see why they were both nominated. Um, yes. Yeah, definitely. They, yes. Neither I, of them particularly wowed me. Yeah, but, that's uh, that's exactly it, right? Is that like you re- go into these short lists and you're like, oh, is this going to be the one I'm going to be telling people about for the next two years? And these weren't that. They were, nope. but I can see why they were nominated, and I didn't dislike them. I, mm-hmm. I, I see, I see their merits. I would not wave anybody off from reading either of these books. I would say, if this oh, no. sounds interesting to you, go for it. Yeah, yeah, you mm-hmm. won't. If 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 the way we've described them <laughs> makes you think, <laughs> oh, that's interesting, um, read Dive it. In. You should read it. You should. I mean, we gave away sort of that's true parts of the end, but I still, still read it. You should still read it. It doesn't matter. All right, before we go, nothing we like matters. to take around. Nothing matters anyway, Scott. Nope. Uh, yeah, it's true. Rosebud was his sled, it turns out. Oh, take that. Uh-huh. Spoiler alert Yeah, mm-hmm. for something. Yeah, the fourth horseman of the apocalypse <laughs> ride in at the end of the Bible and the, the world ends, right? I think that's how it goes. <laughs> oh, um, oh, no. Spoilers. He, really, he was Luke's father. Yeah. <laughs> he was. Obi-Wan. <gasps> what? Uh, all right. <laughs> what are we reading? This is where I ask my panelists to share books, the other books that they are reading uh, that are not Machine Hood and Plague Birds that they might want to recommend to our dear listeners. Um, Scott, what are you reading? Uh, uh, well, these are books that I have finished reading. So I was reading. These yes. Books. Again, just to be clear, <laughs> what are we reading is is uh, is a simplification of the actual concept, which is what books have we read recently that we would like to recommend to our listeners, which is what I said. But I like to call it what are we reading, just so we're clear again. Well, you know, it's 600 time. episodes in. I know we'll get there eventually. <laughs> Well, for the new listeners, they might be confused. Yes. Be like, Scott, you read so many. You're not currently reading these books. <laughs> books at the same time, and you know how they end. How are you recommending them if you haven't finished them? It's very confusing. Mm. But see, no, no. Be at ease, dear listener. I have read these books, and that is why I would recommend you read them uh, if you are interested in such uh-huh. things. One of the books that I read recently is one of these writerly books that I enjoy reading that I know other people uh, might not. Uh, Light Perpetual by Francis Spufford. uh, Spufford, maybe? S-P-U-F-F-O-R-D. Not sure how to say Uh their name. Uh, It's kind of science fiction, but not really, uh, because it it imagines uh, there was, uh, during the Blitz, uh, a Woolworths was destroyed by uh, one of uh, Nazi rockets, and uh, so lots of people died. It was very sad. Uh, this novel imagines if uh, plucks a couple of those people that died that were children out and then projects what their life might have been like if they did not die in that incident. Uh, so nothing, I mean, other than that concept, there's no kind of science fiction around it at all. So if you were to pick it up and think, oh, something science fictional is going to happen and then you read 400 pages and it you know the people just, just have people living lives. their lives after <laughs> yes. blitz yeah mm-hmm. and that's what it is uh but it's very well well written they're very talented authors uh and i enjoyed it quite a lot uh and, and i will recommend another book that i don't think we talked about at all um but it's by a little author named neil stevenson what? uh termination shock which is his latest book that is uh how many thousands his, of pages is it, <laughs> I was going to say, his fine <laughs> tradition of super long book. This is a very long book. I don't even know how long it is, but it's, it's. I'm going to guess like 800, 900 pages. Good, maybe. Goodreads claims 720 pages. Oh, there you go. Uh, and it's, it, I feel like, so Neil Stevenson, you engender strong opinions from people. Uh, he has a very particular style that this book 
is a, a proponent of, uh, or, or an exemplar of, I should say. Um, but it has an ending, uh, and uh, which is rare for Neil Stevenson. Uh, mm-hmm. It's kind of more in the vein of Reemdy than, uh, you know, Anathem or uh, one of his other kind of works. It actually has a story that you can follow. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, it's all about what if a billionaire decides that uh, they need to change the climate first because the governments aren't doing it. So uh, they build uh, a giant um, cannon that shoots, you know, uh, uh, chemicals into the air to alter the world's climate uh, mm. for the better. Uh, and what would happen? <laughs> and so it's, it's very interesting. All right. So those are, those are the two books I would recommend people. All right. It's only two books, but in page count, it's a lot. <laughs> We go by pages, total pages, mm-hmm. which I don't. But thank you for your two <laughs> recommendations, Scott. Erica, what uh, what are you reading? By which I mean, well, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> I, I feel like I am not keeping up my end of the bargain on page count uh, because uh-huh. I have been reading. Uh, one of the books I just read was one that I think Dan suggested on the last book club episode we did, which was The Steers Woman by Rosemary Crispin. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and, yeah. and then I'm the, grand, I'm the grandfather of that recommendation. Yes. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> yep. I, so... Didn't mention this in that podcast, but I did. In fact, I've read those books myself. Ah, yeah, and I liked it enough that I will probably at some point when I have time go on to read read the next one. Yeah, they're good. Um, all all yep. four of them are of, of a of a kind. Yep, and uh, the other novel that I read was another one that you guys have recommended to me, which was uh, is uh, City of Blades, the second book by uh, Robert Jackson Bennett in that series. And I also enjoyed that. Mm. And you guys were right. It was even better than the first book. Yeah. Um, so I will probably... Third book's again, even better. When <gasps> I have time, go on and read the third book. So The system uh, works. So yeah. The system mm-hmm. works. It absolutely <laughs> does. Uh, the other thing that I've been reading is catching up on some some short Stop. fiction reading nope. in uh, in Uncanny Magazine, and um, so just I wanted to just mention a couple of a few things that people might want to check out. Um, there's a story called Ina Spark by Mary Robinette Kowal, which is just sort of a delightful little short story about a woman who is a wizard and wants to be able to keep using her magic, but in order to do that, has to go on this ridiculous quest set forth by the king. Or is it the queen? I can't remember. Anyway, um, has a has a sidekick who is who is more of a fighter, and it's just a fun little quest story, which I enjoyed quite a bit. Um, and then and that was let's see, that was in Uncanny Magazine issue forty three, and then in issue forty four, oh, there's this beautiful story called Ribbons, which is uh, very much a um, sort of a, a a trans narrative, and it just like it made me cry. It was very very beautiful, so I recommend that. Uh, also, the Clockwork Penguin Dreamed of Stars. <laughs> It's a short story by Carolyn M. Yoakum. And I don't know, she has this ability to just, I don't know, pull out my heart every time I read one of her stories and stomp on it. And it's oh, no. about, it, it's literally, it's literally what it sounds like. like. There's, there's a penguin who is like, he's, he's, he's clockwork and this is post-apocalyptic and there's no people left. They're just, there's, there's a zoo and a penguin and a bunch of other animals. And this penguin wants to go to the stars. <laughs> it's just very, very sweet. Um, I don't want to say more than that. Uh, cause you know, if it's a short story, you don't want to say too much cause you could literally be ruining the whole thing. Um, and the other one is called Lily the Immortal by Kylie Lee Baker, which is a very interesting sort of imagining of what happens to your online uh, personality life after you are gone. This is a, a, told in the near future, um, but it's a, someone has lost their beloved and their beloved was basically like a futuristic YouTube star. And there's enough of, of her online that they're able to sort of basically create an AI sort of version of her to continue existing and how weird that would be for the person who has to to be left behind and basically deal with this because corporations are more powerful than people and can get the rights to basically anything. So uh, really good story and very haunting. Nice. Uh, I have three, which take that, Scott, I guess. (laughs) Oh, no. Um. I just finished Winter's Orbit by Everina Maxwell, which was recommended to me by our friend, friend of the podcast, Katie Mack, world-class scientist, world-class lover of books with spaceships in them. (laughs) And what I'll say about Winter's Orbit is the book that it's most like is the um, 
the first two books in the Vorkosigan series that are um, about Cordelia, Miles's mom, uh, Cordelia's honor and shard, or shards of honor or and Barriar, I think, which then got combined into Cordelia's honor. Anyway, those books it, it, in that it is a romance at, set all in the midst of a space empire uh, that is, is, I was thinking about it and I was thinking how to describe it on this podcast. And I couldn't decide whether to describe it as a, a, a romance set on space empire or a, a, a space opera with romance. Um, and then I went on Goodreads and I saw that half the people are complaining that there's not enough romance and the other half are complete <laughs> complaining that there's too much space mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but that's what you're going to get. You get, you've got a couple of characters who are, uh, minor Royals in their planets and they are, um, and, and one of them, their partner, their, their husband has died. And, uh, so, uh, that you can't have that if you've got an alliance between these planets. So he is married off to a prince of this other planet. And this is an interesting, in terms of the world building, it's also very interesting because you get the sense that most of the gender signifying that's going on in these books is from objects. Like if you wear, if you wear wood necklaces or earrings, you're male. And if you wear metal, you're, you signify female. It's very, it's really interesting how it's just a very different take. The, this culture has a very different take on, on gender expression. You get the sense that it's not clothing based. It's everybody. I get the sense maybe wears and dresses very similarly. And then you just have to signify. It's like having a little tag with your pronouns on it. It's kind of like that, except it's based on whether it's, it's wood or, or metal or glass or something like that. Fascinating in its own right. Anyway, these two guys are uh, stuck with each other and that's never a good place to start romance. Um, and then there are, or lots is of, it? And oh. then there are lots of misunderstandings. Well, well, and then there are misunderstandings. And of course this one of them, their, his husband just died. Um, but like, did they have a good relationship or not? You don't really know. It's it, one of them is expressive and outgoing and the other one is very reserved. So if I have a criticism, it is that there's a little bit uh, too much of the thing where it's like, if one person would freaking talk to the other person, uh, honestly, at any moment, novels. at any moment they could resolve this, but you know, people they're gonna be like that sometimes Mm -hmm. and yes it is also there is a a, like a little minor league star empire that is got to sign a new contract with the weird group that runs the portals between star systems and they come and they collect all the the ancient alien artifacts that you found that are strewn around the universe and they sweep those up you got to give them back they you don't get to keep them they got to take those and take they take them away um, and then you make sure that your government looks like it's all on the up and up and then they sign a new deal. And if, uh, you, if you're not part of the group, you're basically a sitting duck for some giant star empire to come in and, uh, eat you up. So you need to, you need to, there's a lot of, uh, political pressure on this couple. And, um, I, and as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, so is this just going to be about their relationship set, uh, on this backdrop or will there be that moment where you think, oh, ho, that husband didn't die accidentally. Th- that husband didn't die accidentally, anybody. Oh, no. there, there's a plot that involves people being in peril and stuff, too. It's not just people misunderstanding each other and various imperial tea ceremonies. There's other stuff, too. Anyway, I didn't like it as much as the Vorkosigan oh. books. I but thought I, you were just going to stop there. I didn't, I didn't like, like it. It, <laughs> it sucked. Don't read it. That's why I spent all this time on it. No, I didn't like it as much as the Vorkosigan books, but you know what? I've read all the Vorkosigan books. So um, if you like those books or you like the sound of this, uh, check out Winter's Orbit by Everina Maxwell. Katie uh, said it was one of her favorite books of the last couple of years. I wouldn't go that far, but um, it is the, it is absolutely the m- book most like those early Vorkosigan books that I have seen. And I love those books. So it's fun. Uh, and if you're like, oh, romance, that doesn't sound like my bag. Well, skip it. Skip it because that's a very, the characters are an important part of that story. It's not just all about um, whether the engine in a shuttlecraft can be tampered with. 
Although it is about that. Um, no, I, no, whereas I need you to give me the title again, because this is the time of the episode win- where I buy a book on my so once again, as we're recording. Winter's Orbit by Everina <laughs> Maxwell. It might be at your local library. That's where I read it. But you can also get it on, uh, you know, your e-readers. Uh, it's fun. I also wanted to recommend with a high, a little bit of a higher uh, recommendation, Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Doerr. Oh. Um, yeah, Scott. Mm. Uh, That's a good book. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, uh, Scott rated it five on Goodreads. My wife rated it five on Goodreads. I rated it four, but you know, we can disagree about how great mm. it is. No, we can't. <laughs> you are wrong, Jason. But it's great. <laughs> It is, but it is, it is, I have a very specific complaint that I'm not going to reveal because it is super spoilery about how, how, uh, the book oh. ends. Um, mm. but I, which I didn't like, I felt like there was, it was one of the storylines I feel like is kind of a ripoff, but, um, <laughs> but it is beautiful. It is a beautiful work of art, um, about, it reminded me of cloud Atlas a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Not just because it has cloud in the title. That's the obvious part. Obviously, it's one of the clouds. Yes, it's, it's part of the cloud series. Cloud series. But um, it is, uh, you know, what's beautiful about it, 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 it's about passing down of stories and also about uh, lost stories. And, and the t- if we talk about the cannibal monks uh, in that book that we read earlier, uh, uh, Plague Birds. Um, trying to maintain human knowledge. Cloud Cuckoo Land is about the the sort of how easy it is for things to be lost, and that that of of all you know, and this is a historic fact that of of the known works of these amazing writers from the uh, let's say the Greek era, we know that they wrote many works, but we only have a very small number of them. Most of them are lost forever, and this book this book talks about the moments when they were almost lost through chance may not be lost. Um, and in particular, this one story, Cloud Cuckoo Land, which is uh, improbably survives a siege in Constantinople um, and is sort of stolen and and then has a very unlikely circuitous route to being saved. Um, and then it's basically not paid attention to until the 21st century where a man who we learn about his life and he gets sent off to war and he comes back and he ends up being the translator of it. But also in that in the present day, he's putting on a little play with some kids, but there's somebody else who wants to blow up the building next to the library. And the whole thing is about how we are all connected across hundreds of years, thousands of years by the kind of maintenance or lack of maintenance of knowledge. And, um, and the, the capper to this is a girl who is on a generation spaceship going to another star system to colonize it. And, um, and cloud cuckoo land is with her too, which is intriguing, right? That she's trying to figure out where it came from and what its relevance is. And there's beautiful revelations of the relevance of all of these stories and how they connect to each other. Um, it's very well done. And while I have some quibbles about the ending, um, it's, it's a beautiful work of art. And, and if, if that sounds like a story, it's, yeah, it's highfalutin, but, um, I, I loved it. I thought it was, I thought it was brilliant. And Scott gave it five stars. So I don't know why he hasn't already <laughs> recommended it here, frankly. Come on, Scott. <laughs> Well, I feel like I always recommend these these highfalutin yeah, writing books, so I try to recommend other things. But it's really good. I will uh, I will agree with everything Jason said, except for his his four star. My quibble, rating. my quibble about the ending, which I'm just not. Gonna... I, I can understand. Your, I think I might know what your quibble is. Yeah. Uh, and and I can understand it. it yeah. But it, I, it's I had heard of this book, but I just shied away from it because the every time I hear Cloud Cuckoo Land, I think of the crazy place in the Lego movie. Oh. <laughs> it's just like, oh, it's, it's, not, no it's, part of Lego, it's part of the Lego connected universe, huh? That's right. Do we not mention that? Connected? Also, all the characters are Lego people. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a, a small quirk to Cloud Cuckoo Land. No, it's beautiful. And it is. I mean, in the end, the, pre, the, the elevator pitch is um, in... Uh, you know, in the first in, in first century BC, basically, um, a, a story is written, and somehow it it survives to be read by a girl who is traveling to another star system on a generation ship, and how it survived all that way will surprise you. 
<laughs> okay. It is quite surprising. It, yeah, it, it is. And, and, and tragic and beautiful and mm-hmm. all those things. Uh, and I have one more really quick. Um, if you heard me describe Winter's Orbit and said, sounds interesting, but I'd like a little more romance. Ooh. I recommend oh. um, One Last Stop by Casey McQuiston. Uh, this is about a woman who gets on a subway in New York City and sees a super awesome, cool woman in a leather jacket who seems like she's stepped out of the 70s and they talk and she sort of gets a crush on her and she keeps meeting her on the subway. And it turns out that somehow through some space-time shenanigans, she is from the 70s and she's trapped on the subway and they fall in love, but... How do they get her off the subway? And if she, they get her off the subway and send her back to the 70s, then they'll never be together again because now it's the 21st century, man. How are we going to solve this problem? And she can't meet her friends unless she takes her friends down to the subway to meet the ghost, apparently, from the 70s that she's fallen in love with. Um, it's adorable. But it is, I would say this is much more of a, uh, if you would say a supernatural romance, I would say supernatural is like five uh, font point size is smaller than romance. It's much more romance, but it's adorable. I read it on the airplane going on my vacation. It, it was, it, it put a smile on my face. I loved it. Um, so if you're looking for that kind of story, mm-hmm. a little more romance, it's cute. One last stop, Casey McQuiston. It's adorable. I was in a good mood when I got to Hawaii, which is great because uh, <laughs> then I'm in Hawaii. So that was, was awesome say. too. <laughs> The only thing, only sad thing about Hawaii, no subways. You can't meet a ghost. Um. <laughs> She's not. There is a moment where they have, there's like a psychic who says, she's not a ghost because you got to clear that up. It's like, no, no, she is alive. It's she's fine. N- she's not a ghost. Not but a ghost. what is she and how did she get there? It's a mystery. Solved <gasps> by the book. One last stop. Oh. Hmm. And that brings us to the end of our book club for this time. Oh but guess what, everybody? We have new assignments. Master mm-hmm. of Gin by P. Jelly Clark. Unbroken by i'm reading that book right now uh, cl clark uh oh, more clarks uh it's all clarks all the way down and <laughs> galaxy in the ground within by becky chambers which we already talked about so we'll do a little recap of that but we already did a whole episode or, or, or a big chunk of an episode about it so mm-hmm. uh, we'll cover those in a month or so in the next shortlist book club and you can always go and find out the nebula and hugo nominees and uh, just start reading them and read along with us because we'll cover all of them i think there are nine that are in common because they 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 overlap a little bit all right well that's it for this episode of the incomparable erica ensign thank you for being here thank you for for encouraging me to read books i mean i would have read them anyway but it's (laughs) nice to be able to talk about them i hope that uh you read some of the books i just recommended that's very exciting well i did just check one out from the library so library library uh scott (laughs) mcnulty thank you i've already read one of the books (gasps) that you recommended see i'm one step ahead of erica i appreciate (laughs) it thank you for um one-upping me in fact on my recommendation oh. in fact, thank you jason for your recommendation but you didn't go far enough you did <laughs> not it was shame on it was me not a strong enough not recommendation. recommending it strongly enough at least i brought it up so you yeah did. i'll take the hit for recommending highfalutin artsy fartsy science fiction <laughs> and thanks everybody out there for listening to the incomparable we will see you next time <laughs>